fix those. All right, we are in lesson five of the tabernacle plan. And uh, uh, we have been covering uh, the hidden mysteries of the Mishkan, the tent, the tabernacle of God. And we have seen, of course, that it is one of the few things that God ever gave us a blueprint to build in the Bible. I want to look at a couple of things. Uh, we closed out our last lesson as we studied the menorah, the seven-lamp candlestick of God. I want to just bring out a couple of things. We're spending a lot of time uh, covering everything about the tabernacle. And, of course, we have mentioned before that God has spent 25 times more giving us the mysteries of the tabernacle than he did the creation of the earth and the universe and humanity and all that. But if you do not know it, uh, the tabernacle, later there would be a temple, but the tabernacle itself was the foundation of the temple, so to speak. We'll look at that in the scripture here for a moment. We're moving into the story of the dedication of Solomon's temple, and we'll come into 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 4, and it's talking about when they bring the ark to the day that Solomon dedicates the house that, that he has built unto God that his father David had been given the instructions and the blueprints to, and of course had collected uh, many of the uh, wood and stone and gold and all the things that would be needed. And then his son Solomon, because David had brought peace in the land, was able to build the house of God. So here we go in 1 Kings 8 and 4. And they brought up the ark of the Lord and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle, even those did the priests and the Levites bring up. So we see where the portable structure of the tabernacle is now brought along with all the items of furnishings the ark, the tables of shoe bread, so on and so forth, and now brought to this permanent structure that is built in the place there in Jerusalem on the spot where man was created. And in Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 5, and they brought up the ark and the tabernacle of the congregation and all the holy vessels that were in the tabernacle. These did the priests and the Levites bring up. So we see that two times God allows us to understand the tabernacle has now been brought to the dedication of the temple. Now, in the Talmud, which we have covered in some of our lessons, what that's about, it states in Sotan 9 and 9a, the tabernacle was actually stored beneath, underneath the temple. And the historian Josephus says in Antiquities 8.103, he says that the wings of the cherubims in the temple that were shaped and appeared and draped as a tent. So this tabernacle structure, which is called a tent, which we've covered all the different names that it's been named by, uh, it is not something that went away. It is something that was understood up till the destruction of the temple and uh, was something that uh, this fundamental foundation piece of God, they took very seriously, very importantly, as it was the blueprint of what God built them. And of course we saw why is because it is the place that God would meet with them. It's called the tent of the meeting uh, and we've covered many names. And what we see is, is whenever we look at the tent of the meeting, it's because this is where the Shekinah, which means the presence or the glory of God, would meet with man. It would come down. And it's interesting because the Hebrew name for tabernacle is Mishkan. And Shekinah or Shekinah and Mishkan are, come from the same Hebrew root word, which actually is letting us understand that the presence or the Shekinah of God and the Mishkan, the tabernacle of God, both represent the presence of God. 
they are taken from the same root word. So we don't recognize that importance whenever we transliterate into the King James Version. Also, I think it was interesting just to point out as we move into uh, tonight, we're going to look at the uh, four, actually it's two curtains and two coverings, the four coverings of the tabernacle. But also the Hebrew word for anointing is mish, and we get our word Messiah. And if you will remember, God instructs Moses when the tabernacle is completed that he is to anoint the tabernacle and, of course, then those that are going to be priests. And so what we want to keep in mind, we want to remember, is the fact that this house of skin uh, represents, of course, the coming Messiah who will tabernacle amongst us, God in flesh, where the Shekinah glory would be in, and he will be the Mish, the, the anointed one, just as this tabernacle is anointed. So in every aspect, as we study each portion of the tabernacle, we should see hidden pictures of Christ. In Exodus chapter 25, uh, we call the tent of the meeting. He says, And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from the mercy seat. And in Exodus 29 and 43, he says, And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory, by my Shekinah. So we are seeing now that uh, this tent-like affair, uh, the purpose of it is that God wanted to dwell amongst his people, but he could not come into contact with sin. He had to have an outer veil, a covering. And then uh, there, he gave a plan whereby we could come back into communion or fellowship with God. We have seen in our prior uh, lessons that the first thing that God made, gave us the instruction to build, was the Ark of the Covenant. Then he gave us the instruction to build the table of shewbread. Then he gave unto us the instruction on how to build the golden lampstand. And so tonight, in this lesson five, we are looking at the fourth item that he instructs us to build in the order that he gave us the instructions to build it, and that is the coverings, the curtains and the coverings. And if you will notice, uh, here is an artist's rendition of a blueprint of the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place, and then the items of furnishings that are in them. But now that God has expressed those to us and explained those to us and told us how to manufacture those, so to speak, or construct them, now he's going to tell us how to cover them. So stay with us here for just a moment, and I think some things will begin to come to light. Uh, Exodus 26, verse 1 through 5. You're going to find Exodus 26, verses 1 through 14, are what expressed to us about these four coverings. And uh, two of them are called coverings. Two of them are called curtains, and then it's interesting we have a veil also, which we do not get to because it's in, not in this portion of the instruction. Next, he's just going to cover his glory. He's going to cover the Shekinah glory. He's going to cover the bread. He's going to cover the light. He's going to cover the mercy, and he's going to cover the commandments and the word. Everything that he's given instruction now, he's going to give us a way to cover it. And in my way of thinking, there is no manual on this. What I see is he just simply is expressing to us that now that we understand everything that Christ was to be and, everything, and, and, and the things he would possess, he now is going to put a covering of skin over it, and no one's going to be able to see it except those that become intimate and close and draw near to him. They're only going to be able to see the outer, ugly covering of badger skin. So moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twined linen, blue, purple, and scarlet, with cherubims of cunning work shall thou make them. So this is going to be the what basically we're going to have 
is the walls, the portable walls of the tabernacle, and then these four curtains and coverings are going to be draped over them. This first one that he gives to us is the one that is actually going to be, if you walk inside of the tabernacle, it will be the one that you view from inside. And it's going to be absolutely marvelously and beautifully uh, uh, woven. It's out of fine twined linen with blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims woven into the material itself. Now, that should speak to you immediately because these are all hidden pictures of God revealing himself. So if you've been with us in the lessons of priesthood, and of course the high priest, we'll cover this in a moment and we'll begin to reveal some things. So then he gives us the length of the curtains. Remember there's going to be ten, and uh, verse three, and five curtains will be coupled together one to another, and another five curtains will be coupled one to another. And thou shalt make the loops of blue upon the edge. And verse number five, and fifty loops shall thou make in the one curtain, and fifty loops shall thou make in the edge of the curtain that is in the coupling of the second and the loops that they may take hold of one another. Now, what we're going to see is, is we're going to see that these five, these ten curtains, or five each, are coupled together to make one curtain. And verse 6, Exodus 26, And thou shalt make fifty tatches of gold and couple the curtains together with the tatches, and it shall be one tabernacle. Now, I'll comment on that here in a moment, but hold to that. There's a purpose God does not waste words. Verse 7, And thou shalt make the curtain, and now then we're going to the next covering. This is the second curtain. The two inner coverings, the first one being the finely twined linen with the cherubims made out of the gold and the scarlet. Uh, it is the one you see when you walk in, and then laid on top of it is going to be the second curtain. It's covering this tabernacle. And thou shalt make this curtain of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shall thou make. The length of one curtain, and then he's going to give them the length of this, and you're going to see where uh, these things are able to be draped across the roof, and then down the edges of the walls they'll lack uh, a little bit, for they do not touch the ground, and then the outer skin is actually the largest covering. It's actually called a covering, and it's tucked underneath to allow rain and stuff. It's, it's very well thought through to where it cannot get to uh, the outer skins of badger skins, where none of the rain or the elements or the dust can get to these. Uh, and thou shalt couple five curtains by themselves, and six curtains by themselves, and shalt double the sixth curtain in the forefront of the tabernacle. And thou shalt make fifty loops on the edge of one curtain, and the outmost in the coupling, and fifty loops on the edge of the curtain which coupleth the second. And thou shalt make fifty tatches of brass, and put the tatches into the loops, and couple the tent together, that it may be one. And the remnant that remaineth of the curtains of the tent, the half curtain that remains, shall hang over the back side of the tabernacle and a cubit on one side, and a cubit on the other side, and of that which remaineth in the length of the curtain of the tent, it shall hang over the sides of the tabernacle, on this side and that side, to cover it. And thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skin, dyed red, and a covering above of badger skin. So now he's moving from the two curtains to now two outer coverings that are laid over the curtains to protect these uh, from the elements. And in verse 14 he says, And now thou shalt make covering for a tent of ram skin, dyed red, and a covering above of badger skins. So, I have just read to you uh, where we're going to get the remainder of this lesson. And you can see how upon your initial reading that you would probably skim through it and see no relevance to your life or no relevance uh, to the rest of the remainder of Scripture or whatever. So we're going to take uh, next 25 minutes or so and we're just going to dig a little deeper. And... Uh, Gene was speaking earlier about the miracle that we saw here in the Word and all the mathematical things uh, Sunday. But 
and, and true that is. But as you dig deeper into each phrase, each letter, each jot, each tittle, there's not a single portion of the Bible that does not come alive and paint a picture of the love, the mercy, the grace, and of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. So we want to back up, and we notice that uh, in Exodus 26, I read you verse 6, that after these curtains are all made and they're coupled together, he says, and it shall be one tabernacle. The tabernacle shall be one. Now, we've got to remember, whenever God calls Abram, uh, before he's Avraham, that one of the purposes of him calling Abram out is the fact that he began what we call a monotheistic belief system. And uh, Christi or Judaism was the only monotheistic system to be birthed, and that was through Avraham. And God revealed to him that he, there was one God. And so what we see now is this one God, the children of Israel went into Egyptian bondage, they went into captivity, he brings them out, he's giving them this tabernacle plan where he, the one God, can dwell amongst them. So he wants them to understand, and there's one tabernacle. And you'll remember uh, in uh, the Gospels later that on the Mount of Transfiguration, whenever uh, Jesus allows uh, Peter, James, and John to see the glory, the Shekinah of God shine through him, uh, because he was the tabernacle of God that housed the light of God, that they said, should we build here three tabernacles? Remember that's said. And so this, this is hard for us to comprehend in the hour where most of us are so busy in America, we're not that serious about our religion anyway. But people that are serious about their religion, the same reason he had to hide the body of Moses is because men will glorify images. And uh, we have a rabbi... Uh, one of the leading rabbis in Israel is going to be with us in January. I'm having you on a Wednesday night. And he's asked that uh, he not come into our sanctuary. And I will be very accommodating. We'll go into the fellowship hall because, and please don't anyone be offended by this, but if you go to Israel with us, if you want to see a pagan shrine, they will take you to a Christian church because your Orthodox Roman churches that fill Jerusalem are full of idols. And statutes, and that's totally against Scripture. So he does not want to desecrate himself by coming into a pagan temple. Now, don't let that be insulting to you. These are people that are very serious about being obedient to God, which we could learn from that. And, of course, we don't have any pagan idols or symbols in here. We don't even have a cross, and that's the reason I don't. I'm not, if you have a Christmas tree, praise God, we'll come hang the star on it if you want us to. We're not legalistic. But there's just some things I don't do because I have a higher understanding. Anyway, let's go on. So what we're seeing is, he says, so we're seeing that there's one God, so there's going to be one tabernacle. Now, also, what we're gleaning from this lesson, he is instilling within them that there's just one place of sacrifice. So today, as you share with friends about the beauty of the things you're learning, and they say, well, why aren't you killing a goat today? Well, we can't. Not that I'd want to, but because there's just one place of sacrifice. And that was at the door of the tabernacle. And then once it was installed at the temple, that was the permanent place from that place. The only place that you will see a sacrifice once this comes about of the tabernacle and God giving them this plan is what's the only person you'll ever see break this commandment? Who knows? Remember whenever the prophets of Baal and Elijah comes and he builds an altar and he sacrifices and, says, well, and calls down fire? And that was specifically ordained by God, and in that instance, he was commanded to. That's the only other place, because this 
tabernacle at the door of this spot is the only place of sacrifice. There's one tabernacle, one God, and one place of worship. Let me explain that. Uh, when you're praying, and you were taught to pray before the day of Messiah, before the day of Jesus, you always faced the temple. And you always placed your mind on going to the holy place and into the holy of holies, and you focused on praying toward the temple. This is what you were commanded and taught because uh, that's the way it was. It was the one place of worship. It is the anointed one, the Mishkan. We anoint it. So you should already be seeing the, all the typologies of tying this to uh, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you should see, therefore, that uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, these three are one. You can see how the Shekinah glory that came down and lived in the house of skin. The house of skin was not God. It was his dwelling place. The man Jesus was a man, but it, he was the dwelling place, the tabernacle of God. He was man and God. And so uh, today when we pray, Jesus changed us from praying toward the temple because now what is Jesus? He is the tabernacle of God. All the glory had left. They didn't have the uh, menorah. They didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. So now when we pray, we don't pray facing eastward toward the temple. We pray facing upward because that's where our tabernacle of God is now. And this is what Revelation teaches us. Remember what he says, And though he that overcometh, he says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Well, who is that? Well, the invisible God can't be seen if you want to go by the Bible and not what tradition teaches. The only way you can see God is in the face of Jesus Christ. He is the visible image of the invisible God. So what we are actually looking at as we are looking at this plan of the tabernacle, and we're about to see it. I mean, I could have just given you those 14 verses and let you figure it out. But we're going to see the beauty in what God has given us here. Okay, so let's look at these four coverings from Exodus 26, verses 1 through 14. Number one, we've got, uh, and, and, and I'm bouncing back and forth because... Uh, it's actually two curtains and two things called coverings. To me, they're all four coverings, but we still need to see how the Bible words it. First off, you have the curtains of the finely twined linen of blue and scarlet, and there's ten of those. Then over them is laid the curtains, because the Bible calls these curtains, of goat's hair. And there's eleven of these, and these are coupled together with brass tatches, the curtains of fine linen with gold. Now, immediately... Uh, when God takes the time to give you little intricate details like that, uh, you know there's spiritual things that we need to examine. Then the third covering, and now he changes the name of these to coverings, is covering of ram skin dyed red. There is no idea how many it took. It was just however many it took to cover all of this edifice. And it does not, we are not told how many it took. And then the fourth covering is of badger skins. So, when we begin to look at this spiritually and we begin to wonder why all of why why did we have to have different types? I mean, what a varied and a sundry group of coverings. It's like when you look at the anointing oil. It's like when you look at the ingredients of what God chooses to put in things, all the differences because each thing speaks to us of the diversity of the one God. Okay, so let's look first at the innermost curtain. I'm going to read Exodus 26, verse 1 and verse 6. Fine twined linen. 
Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle of ten curtains of fine linen and blue and purple and scarlet with the cherubims. I've read this. And thou shalt make fifty tatches of gold. Well, remember that if the tabernacle is a type of Christ, then everything that we are looking at is a picture of many things. We can also take it as the picture of the universe. There's no end to this lesson. So tonight we're going to stay with looking at it is a typology of the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the one tabernacle of God in the earth. And He is our High Priest. So in Exodus 39, what we're going to find out is, and of the blue and the purple and the scarlet, they made cloths of service to do service in the holy place and made the holy garments for Aaron as the Lord commanded Moses. And he made the ephod of gold, blue, purple, scarlet, and fine twined linen. What you've just seen is that we have just closed the tabernacle, the house of skin, in the outfit of the high priest because he is our great high priest. Does that make sense? Is that coincidence? Well, if it is, you're going to see a lot more coincidences as we move on. And I also want you to notice that when you look at this, uh, this so you, you can't see these things from the outside. Remember, these are a covering. These are curtains of separation. So when we deal with your life when you were coming to God, you had no idea what all was involved with Him and what all He could do in your life and what all He had already done for you. Because you can't see this stuff from the outer court. No one could see what I'm telling you until they came in through the blood. Now hold on to that. The next thing we're going to cover is the next curtain. And those of you that are studying with us in the lessons I'm doing on the sacrifices, the five offerings or five sacrifices, these just go hand in glove. So in Exodus 26, verse 7 and 11, uh, And thou shalt make, this is the next curtain, it's going to go over the finely twined linen. And thou shalt make curtains of goat's hair to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Even eleven curtains thou shalt make. And thou shalt make fifty tatches of brass and put the tatches into the loops and couple the tent together that it may be one. Now, without getting back into teaching a whole other lesson, immediately, we should immediately realize anytime we speak of goats, then immediately because you are familiar with the language of the five things God gave us, the five foundations, and this is why I harp on until you understand the five foundations, you're going to miss out on being able to interpret the word correctly. Because immediately, when I think of a goat, immediately, what do I think? Well, that one we just dressed in the outfit of the high priest, the next thing he, our high priest does that's got that outfit, is he the one that brings the goat of what? Two goats on that day, Day of Atonement. And so we now see that, and who is Jesus? He is the sin offering of our atonement. He's the one that made atonement for us. And so our priest brings our atonement. He brings it in the presence of the mercy seat. So this is what we're seeing. Also, when you look at this particular place where these 11 curtains are coupled together with these things he calls tatches, these tatches are made out of brass. Now, if you'll remember the finely twined linen, the tatches or the couplers that held the curtains together were made out of gold. And you remember that in the tabernacle plan, and in the Word of God, brass speaks of two things. It speaks of judgment and it speaks of repentance. Which goes hand in hand with this goat and, and it representing uh, our repentance on the Day of Atonement and our judgment in the fact that it was slain for our transgressions. 
And you'll remember that whenever we were on the inner curtain, that they were held together by gold, and gold always represent, as far as I know, always has represented deity or God uh, in the Bible. So we have now moved. Uh, we're moving through uh, different levels of sanctity. And as you see, when we go into the temple teaching, that uh, we are always ascending up uh, until we get to the Ark of the Covenant. And there are levels of sanctity where uh, you can only go so far until you meet certain requirements. Uh, so we look at the curtains and the coverings, and what are they covering? Well, we've already mentioned, if you would look at these things that we've already studied, to me, it's just like God is covering with the membranes of skin the things that Christ was on the inside. His body was the bread that came down. He was the light, the light of every man that cometh into the world. He is the Word incarnate, which is what was in the Ark of the Covenant, which was where they placed the commandments. Also in the Ark of the Covenant was the manna that they ate when we look at our communion meal, and then, of course, the rod that budded, which was the almond rod. And so now he's covering these things with skin, and the only way you're ever going to see the beauty, as I've already mentioned, and understand him is to be go through a, uh, a ritual so you can enter into this and having been made a priest. Uh, it's interesting that when we make up the tabernacle uh, of the curtains, they're called curtains, we have coverings, and then we're going to see the veil. And, uh, uh, of course, we have the veil that separates the holy place from the holy of holies. So now we've looked at the two inner curtains. We're going to now move to the... Uh, two coverings that go above the curtains and they're called coverings in Exodus 26 and thou shalt make a covering for the tent of ram skin dyed red and a covering above of badger skin so these are pretty easy to figure out we'll cover it here in just a moment I want to say it again so he covers these next two coverings are no longer curtains but coverings as though they are one they are both skins. One is the skin of a ram dyed red. That's easy to figure out, representing blood. What's the ram represent? We'll get to that. And then the final covering, uh, the outer is called badger skins, and truthfully no one knows exactly what that was. It is interesting to note that in the free will offering that whenever the people gave these skins uh, to build the tabernacle with, that their shoes, which was made out of the same thing, did not wear out showing what was given to God, he blessed. So in Psalm 61, uh, the psalmist says, For thou hast been a shelter for me. So what we're going to see is now when we begin to read these things about shelter and covering, yes, we understand under the wings of the Most High, uh, that uh, under the prayer shawl, under the wings of the cherubim, so to speak, but they really speak of tabernacling with God. He is our covering, our protection. For thou hast been a shelter for me, Psalm 61, verse 3 and 4, and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of the wings, the covering of your wings. And, of course, these wings were in the cherubims that were sewn inside of the tabernacle and later the temple that you would be under and you would be in the presence of the covering of God. So we are realizing that this plan of God is to be praised, that it is of utmost importance, that it, it runs throughout the theme of the Word of God. Now, when you fold back that uncomely badger skin... Uh, the epidermis, and you see the covering next. When you fold that first skin back, you see the blood of a ram. You see bloody red. It's like a body, so to speak. But why is it a ram skin? In Genesis 22 and 8, 
We see where Abraham is going to offer his son Isaac. And the angel stops Abraham's hand. And Abraham tells his son, he says, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And of course we see the ram, which was the substitute for uh, the, and saved the life of Isaac, because the ram was the substitute, and God did provide himself a lamb, a ram, for the offering. And so this is what we see when we look at this outer ram of, this outer covering of ram skins dyed red, is it is now speaking to us of the flesh that was killed, the life that the Messiah gave, in my opinion, and being, being typified in a typology based upon the ram, because it is the ram that was our substitute. In Isaiah 53, now we look at the outer covering, which was the badger skins. For he shall grow up, Isaiah 53, verse 2 and 3. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men. He is a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Now, if you'll just take time to meditate on that for a moment, uh, God could have created his son Jesus. Yeshua Jesus could have, when he was born, been the most handsome hunk that ever lived. He could have been desired by all the women on the earth. I mean, he could look however he wanted to look. He brought his DNA from the throne room. Just as when God gave into them the plan for the tabernacle, that when you looked at it from the outside, you couldn't see any reason why anybody would want to serve the God of the Hebrews because there was nothing to be desired about it. When you looked outside, you saw the brass altar, place of death, place of blood. Then when you went past that, there was the brazen laver made out of the looking glasses of women. And whenever you looked past that, here was this old ugly tent in the middle that they would pack around in the desert. So you couldn't see, there was nothing at all that you would desire about that tent-like affair. Just as Isaiah said, he is despised and rejected of men. There's no beauty. There's nothing about him that we would desire. So uh, was Jesus good looking? Only on the inside. So this ram skin dyed red is our substitute. And those of you that have been studying with us about uh, why, uh, why now do we have this ram skin uh, as one of the coverings, because it is also in Leviticus chapter 5, verse 15, we just studied in our lesson last week about the trespass offering. If a soul committed trespass, sins through ignorance, he's to bring a ram. So we've got the trespass offerings covered by substituting a ram. Leviticus 8 and 18, and he brought the ram for the burn offering. We've got it covering the burn offering. And a bullock and a ram for the peace offering. And then we see in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 22, that whenever they consecrated the priest, it was a ram that had to be offered. And so I can walk through every one of these and show where Jesus, Yeshua, fulfilled this in the days of his flesh as the perfect sacrifice that left us uh, holy and blameless before God because he fulfills all these things in his flesh, the lamb, the ram that takes away the sin of the world, and of course is typified in the tabernacle itself. So we have covered these four coverings, the linen curtains covering his righteousness, the goat's hair covering the sin offering, the ram skin covering our substitute, and of course the badger skin, the outer covering, our protector, and he's our covering. Uh, in Exodus 31, and I, I think you'll find this interesting, uh, this is whenever they begin to be given the instructions on how to build the tabernacle. Now, 
somebody has to build it. And I think this is hidden, uh, another hidden message in the Word. So I'm going to read from Exodus 31, verse 2 through 6. See, I have called by name Bezael, when his, that means in the shadow or image of. And uh, let me just throw this out at you and then we'll try to dissect it. What I see here is this is a, another snapshot of creation. And he, for some reason, God himself is going to tell them who he's going to put wisdom and knowledge in to create to build this tabernacle. And this is exactly all things were made by him and for him was not anything made that was made whenever we speak of Jesus that this word, his name means in the shadow or the image of, this is exactly what Christ was. So I've expressed to you before how uh, the Bible is a series of snapshots that are timeless and once you understand what to look for, you'll see that he confirms that picture again and again and again. Let's go on. So we've got this man by the name of in the shadow or the image of, and he is the son of the fiery one, Ure. You may call it Uri, but Ure. And so it's not by coincidence that this one that's in the image of, he's made in the image of, and his dad's name is the fiery one. Our God is a consuming fire. He's the son of her of the tribe of Judah. So we all know that our Lord Jesus Christ hails from the tribe of Judah. So are all of these things we're looking at a series of coincidences? Or are we looking at the mind of God who has hidden these things and we're getting to dig them out and enjoy finding out uh, what he has put in store for us? And I have filled him with the Spirit of God. This is what Adam was. Adam was given dominion and wisdom and an understanding and in knowledge and in all manner of workmanship. This is Christ. To devise cunning works. Now, hold on to this. I've given him to devise cunning works to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in cutting of stones to set them and in carving of timber to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him Aliab, which means the father's tent, the, the son of Ishema, which means my brother is my support of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. So what I am seeing in the names of the people that only just these two guys that God uses to do all of this intensive creative work, that we see that one is in the image of, he's the son of the fiery one from the tribe of Judah, and he is working with his father's tent, the tabernacle of God, his father's tent, and we see our Messiah who is my brother, who is my support, who sticks closer than a brother. That's just what I see, okay? But what is interesting is all of us in this room remember the story about uh, Aaron, and we remember Moses is on the top of the mountain. Now what we've been reading, it started in Exodus 25 and we get to Exodus number 31. And I'm reading about how to make the curtains and we've already read about how to make the menorah and all this stuff. But all of a sudden Moses is coming down the mountain and he hears the sound but it's not the noise of war. I want you to look at the timing of what we're about to see. So here we are in the midst of God giving the tabernacle plan. Moses on the mountain for 40 days, and down below, in ex he comes down, and here is Moses' elder brother, a type of the firstborn, 
Remember, Moses represents the born again. His elder brother is who? Aaron. And so now that the firstborn nature is controlling because the born again nature, Moses, the younger brother, leaves him. The firstborn nature does what it wants to do. Do you see this? Okay. And so Moses says, what in God's name have you done? You've made this golden calf. And of course, Aaron says to him in Exodus 32, verse 24, And I said to the people, well, whosoever has any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me. And I just cast it in the fire and they came out this calf. Now, what's interesting to me is the fact, not just the timing of it, We've just been talked, I've just read about this man that has been given all the wisdom and the knowledge in how to uh, mold gold and how to, uh, I guess, carve or however you imprint gold. Uh, uh, and yet, whenever we see that this golden calf is made, we see that it is the man that has not been instilled with wisdom, but it is the man that God told Moses. He said, your brother Aaron's coming. I will make you a god unto him. And what you tell him to do, he'll do. And what you tell him to say, he'll speak. Which, of course, is a type of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And yet, when after this whole ordeal is over, we see how God then calls the children of Aaron, the Levites, to be the priesthood and the high priests. And you could not be a high priest unless you came out of the loins of Aaron, who was the one that built the golden calf. I said all that to say this. One of the things that we found out in our lessons on the sacrifices is in the Old Testament, they brought these sacrifices, and the reason they brought these sacrifices is because they loved God, and God had given them a way to be forgiven. So how did they know they were forgiven? Well, as I've said, because God said, if you bring this sacrifice, you shall be forgiven. So what we see is that God's plan, the deeper we dig into His plan, the more merciful we see that He is. He's not this uh, police officer living behind a billboard waiting to catch you speeding. And so what we see when we recognize the fact that here we have Aaron, and Aaron is going to be made the high priest, we see that what has caught God's attention, even though our Messiah would come out of the tribe of Judah, which is the tribe that the man had the wisdom and the knowledge and the grace to build the tabernacle, he ha our Messiah hails from that, but yet our earthly priesthood came from people, because you are a royal priesthood, people that really had a heart change. It wasn't the fact that they were the smartest, the brightest, the best, not many mighty, not many noble, but they were people that recognized the mercy of God and were able to truly repent to God, and therefore God says, it's you. He's, remember when he said, who's on the Lord's side? And it was the tribe of Levi that moved over to the side of the camp, and therefore God made them the priests. So, said all that just to say this in closing this uh, fifth lesson on tabernacles, that in every scripture on the tabernacle, and I'm just very covering the surface of it, there are hidden messages, uh, even in the names and the sentence structure, everything, that you can go as deep as you want in this lesson, but the main thing that I hope we get out of it is this, and that's just simply realizing that this one that loves us, that allowed Aaron and his progeny to become the only lineage that priests could come out of, that when we study these coverings or in the days of his flesh to recognize everything that Jesus Christ did for us 
as being a perfect sacrifice that just in the day of the tabernacle they knew that if they brought the required sacrifice they could leave with a conscience knowing they'd been forgiven and today we no longer pray towards the temple and we no longer bring a ram we no longer bring a goat we no longer bring a turtle dove we no longer bring a pigeon we no longer bring a meal offering but now we bring the perfect one-time sacrifice that God gave and that is the tabernacle of God who hung on Calvary's, Calvary's hill and gave himself for our sin. And the reason I know I'm forgiven is because God's word says, if I will bring his blood to the Holy of Holies, if I will, if I will lift him up as my sacrifice and put my faith in his atoning work, he says, you're forgiven. Amen. And we'll end it right there.